Hello and welcome to another edition of Look Who's Talking, 40 minutes of topical chat relating to the life of Christchurch, New Malden. I'm Anna Larkin and here on the show this month I'm joined by regulars Stephen Kurt. Hello. And Nathan Larkin. Hey there. Plus our special guest for this month, and it's an amazing privilege to have her here, Church Warden of Christchurch, Sarah Parker. Hello. In this month's edition, we'll be talking all about Grapevine, the lunch club that happens here at Christchurch each month, and all of the other things connected to it. Linked to that, we'll be talking about the mission action plan that's currently being drawn up. We will also be talking, and I promise it won't be as morbid as it sounds, about funerals and that particular part of our ministry here at Christchurch. And finally, we'll have a sneak preview into what's coming up at Christchurch during March and an even greater exclusive in a behind-the-scenes look at what the Office of Church Warden is all about. (laughs) So, very exciting. But let's start off talking about Grapevine Mm. because we've got two key leaders of Grapevine on this episode of the show in Stephen and Sarah. So, Stephen, if I come to you first... We've got used to hearing about Grapevine here at Christchurch, and people might be aware that it's one of the groups that we run, but what actually is it, and how did it all start? Well, it came about, Grapevine, uh, from something that we did back in, I think it was 2007, where we did a course at Christchurch called the Just People course, and uh, it was put together uh, by Livability, and my younger brother John was working for Livability at the time, and Tear Fund. And it was a course that was trying to encourage churches uh, to pursue a more active social mission. And uh, basically this uh, was piloted at Christchurch along with some other churches. We had quite a few people come along and at the end of the course uh, there was a group who were determined that we were going to do something uh, as a result of this and the result was this lunch club uh, called Grapevine which has now been running since November 2007 and started off small, uh, has grown and grown, lots of people come along and it's really one of the most important parts of our mission. So how many people do you get? Well, Sarah, what would you say? Uh, We we get between... 30, 60, sometimes 70, so we never know who's going to Christmas meal is always the really popular one, (laughs) isn't it? That must make catering quite interesting then. It is, (laughs) and we've never ever not had enough. So yeah, do you need to cater for between 30 and 70? Yeah, we tend to to aim (laughs) around 60, and you can usually stretch it up to about Well, when we were thinking about what what to do uh, back in, in 2007, uh, there were several ideas that were suggested, but it did seem that with the, the resources that Christchurch had at its disposal, you know, that fantastic kitchen that we've got, plus a whole load of people who were unusually confident in cooking for large numbers, mm. which included two of the key people on the Just People course, Sarah Parker and uh, Camilla Pierce. So uh, basically they get a fantastic uh, meal uh, once a month, those who come, and probably more importantly, uh, a community... Uh, and a friendly welcome, and it has become a real community, hasn't it, Great It definitely has, because mm. they don't necessarily know each other, but they've become a community outside, and they've basically become a community within Grapevine. So mm. yeah. do you find that you know, they meet there at Grapevine, maybe, at a, and then they do continue to, to see each other outside? some of them or? have uh, continued the friendship outside. Yeah, I think there's, defi- and there's definitely um, a case that they're looking out for one another and helping one another. It's very another. humbling, isn't it? Yeah. Actually, it's very challenging. Mm. Um, so who, who, who is Grapevine for? I mean, who, who comes? Well, um, it is basically um, for anyone who would welcome a really good meal and community, isn't it, basically? 
Um, when we launched it back in 2007, we were really determined that it wouldn't be seen as something with a, a catch or with a hook. Okay. So what we really wanted to do was to welcome people and to share God's love with them and um, basically have no hidden agenda at all, uh, similar to the sort of stuff you do in the youth work, Nathan. Yeah. Um, having said that, we were very confident that if we uh, shared God's love with people or tried to, then that actually wouldn't leave people where they were. It would actually create an agenda which we could then respond to. And after we'd been running Grapevine for about three or four years, uh, it seemed natural to uh, invite people if they wanted to stay on afterwards to come into the church for prayer. Quite a number now do that. Mm. Um, and... Uh, at Christmas, uh, we sing carols, um, and we have a very uh, short little talk uh, on by someone on what Christmas means to them. So it's very much, Great Fun's very much trying to meet people in uh, their most obvious and immediate needs. Um, but uh, having run it for seven, seven or so seven. years, seven or eight years, it's in its eighth year now, it's been very interesting to see where that's then led. Mm. So, um, Sarah, you're, you do have a background in catering, don't you? I do. But um, what, <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? Yeah, yeah. She used to cook for the Daily Mail. Not just cook, she used to be catering manager at the Daily Mail. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Were, you, were you quite harsh in those days? No, I was very soft. <laughs> very soft indeed. No. Yeah, no, I have got a So you've background. got a background in catering, but yeah. before you started the Grapevine Lunch, had you ever done anything like that before, for the, this sort of uh, more social side of it? Probably not those numbers, but... I think, you know, personally, I probably maybe cook 30, 40, but probably not 60, 70. Mm. Okay. But, yeah, Camilla and I work very well together. We're, we're a very good team. We, There's the odd we, disagreement in the kitchen, we, isn't there? No, we do disagree. <laughs> we do disagree, but we, we know what each other's doing, and we yeah. know we work in the same way, so yeah. it works really well. I think okay. team's the real key word there, isn't it? Because it just seems like, you know, those Sundays that grapevines on, there's uh, this huge kind of hubbub and people um, buzzing around the kitchen yeah. and setting mm. up tables. And, we have a big uh, team. Of yeah, how many people there. overall would you say at any point are doing grapevine? I mean, is it sort of 30, 35, something like that, in terms of leadership? Over the, over well, of all the volunteers you know, of all who ever volunteers, come. Um, probably a bit less than that, but... 2025, yeah. 20, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Really committed team. Yeah, no, very that? committed yeah. and really good, solid team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there is, there's a, a secondary group that started from Grapevine called Grapevine Extra, isn't That's there? Right. So what's that all about? What happens so, there? So, as Stephen said, we didn't want to keep people where they were. We wanted to move them on. And one of the ways that we've done that was we offered them Oh, actually, they weren't on the Alpha course. They did, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. about four so or five. So we offered it to them, and a few of them took up the offer. And from that, we set up a group, which is like a home group, mm. but a bit different because we have food. And we start off with some food, share news, and then... Well, Stephen, you mainly do yeah, the Yeah, normally yeah. some sort of focus item for discussion... And what's, what's interesting is taking an approach to Bible study that isn't quite so dominated by words. So we yeah. use quite a lot of pictures. Um, it might be that uh, we think about uh, some issue where there's a whole load of pictures which will pass around for people to think about them. 
um, and see what reactions are given. Or we might be looking at a biblical story where, you know, when we did The Lost Son, I remember I um, printed off about seven or eight different pictures of the story of the prodigal son, and one was an African setting for it, you know, a whole load of different settings. And we told them the story, and they had to look at which picture most strongly spoke to them. Okay. And it was a very moving occasion, actually, because one of the things that emerged from that was, uh, I remember it was an evening where it was uh, Sarah, Camilla, and myself, and some members of Grapevine, and what we realised that was that most of the members there hadn't had a positive experience of their human fathers. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, um, those of us leading it was really coming from quite a different perspective. Mm. And so it's been really challenging on lots of levels, really. And the other thing they really appreciate is, um, as rather than reading from the Bible, we print it out in quite big writing. So yeah. it's not that they can't read, it's... It doesn't come naturally to them, so if you put it on big writing, yeah. that's easier for yeah. them. So that makes a big difference. Yeah. So okay. yeah, it's ministering really to a non-book culture. It makes you realise how much, you know, when people come into uh, to Christchurch, particularly at 11 o'clock, um, get handed a pile of books, there's lots of words on the screens yeah. at 9.30 and 6.30, mm. and actually quite often we are, without realising it, presupposing quite a high level of literacy. Yeah, it can be quite alien. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're learning lots of stuff through doing Grapevine, and... Really, it was part of our desire to seek to make sure that Christchurch wasn't simply a church serving middle-class people and, um, you know, really making a very deliberate effort to try and minister to a different culture. Mm. But what's been really wonderful is that um, Grapevine people are coming along to our services. I think they're changing the sort of church we are. I mean, one of the people we ought to mention, of course, the great hero of Grapevine is, is Jill East, isn't Absolutely. she? Yeah. I mean, Sarah, you might be able to tell us a bit about why Jill is so crucial to Grapevine. Well, Jill has been coming to Christchurch for many, many years, but was probably a bit on the periphery of Christchurch. But she's become central in many respects mm. because she's been amazing yeah. at recruiting all these... Um, people to come along and she I can't believe how many people that. she knows. Oh, yeah, she yeah. always has another yeah. friend to bring along. Yeah. Yeah. Well, basically, yeah. she's just, never, she's just doing never... good works all day long, isn't yeah. she? <laughs> <laughs> Inviting people to Grapevine. And she never, let, you know, she never lets that go and she keeps, you know, the people who don't, if they don't turn up, she makes sure she goes back and reminds them. So mm. she's, she's I'm brilliant. not sure Grapevine will be anything like it is no. without Jill. No. Really. I think what's really, what I, what inspires me about that is I think, um, Often if we find something that we really enjoy, something that um, we get a lot out of and some, somewhere even that some of our friends are at, we can be tempted to close the gates and say, right, okay, this is my thing, I enjoy this. But this kind of constant outward looking, yep. inviting more and more people, not just trying to yep. keep it as it is because I enjoy it, but, but always inviting people Well, there's people a big along. emphasis on them bringing friends. Yeah. So what we say to them each month, and, and quite a few of them have taken this on board, we say, look, we really want this to be growing. Um, so please, next month, do bring back friends, mm. and it's lovely uh, mm. when they when they when they do. Mm. And um, I mean, the food is terrific and really really helps. Um, having that great kitchen really helps. Having the lounge, um, so you know we've got a lot of advantages here, which we're trying to sort of you know take advantage of, aren't we? And, and to go again about being really humbling because the, you know they do do invite their friends and they do they are not cliquey at all mm. they you know they look after each other yeah. in a way they've often got nothing and yet are so generous mm. to them yeah. to each other mm. and it sounds great I, I to be honest i'd 
heard loads about Grapevine and I really, really wanted to get along and see. And, and I, both Anna and I really wanted to volunteer and we kind of, well, we've tried once or twice, but it's just Sundays for us mm. doesn't particularly work. But you did wash up, didn't you? Both but we do, yeah. yeah. We, when we can, Every we try to get then. down and do yeah. a bit of washing up. And, um, see the other thing I love about Grapevine is having the, the game between the courses, which we introduced, which is great because it gives me a chance to be a bit of a Bruce Forsyth. <laughs> and Any excuse? Get, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We do yeah. games like play your cards, right? Um, what other things do we do, Sarah, to um, um, give us a clue, don't we, and stuff yeah. like that? And various quizzes, and and it's great bingo. fun. Bingo, uh, they love bingo. Yeah, bingo goes <laughs> down the tree, so no, it's fantastic. Well, if anyone would like to find out more about Grapevine, um, Stephen has written a booklet on it called yes. "I Heard It on the Grapevine." Good title. Don't laugh because cool. you'll only <laughs> encourage him. <laughs> um, my older brother used to say when I was a kid when people laughed at what I said. Don't encourage. Don't laugh. You'll only encourage. Him. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the booklet is dedicated to Sarah Parker and Camilla Pierce, and it I promise is. I did read further than the dedication when I read it. <laughs> I haven't quite finished it, but before well, we Sarah move on, Sarah got cross that I hadn't dedicated any. Think I'd written to her, you see. So I raced off. Demanded. So um, before we move on from this, I just have a final question for Sarah and for Stephen. I haven't warned you about this. So um, Stephen, your question in a minute will be, mm -hmm. what has surprised you most about Grapevine since it started? But first, I'm going to ask Sarah, um, what is your favourite moment from Grapevine since it started. Oh. I'm sure you've got loads to choose from, so it doesn't have to be your top, top, top thing, top. but just oh. a favourite memory at Grapevine. Oh, I suppose I could just say that, that we do have some children coming along, which mm. is great. And uh, actually, a few weeks ago, a few Grapevines ago, we had one little girl stand up and sing from Frozen, didn't Oh, she did. Aww. She sang Let It Go. <laughs> With the microphone. You shoved the microphone on her. And, and, yeah. and went right to the end of it, you know, continued really? singing until she'd sung the whole lot. Yeah. yeah. So that yeah. was a, That's lovely, that was a really good nice. moment. <laughs> yeah. So, Stephen, what yeah. has surprised what you most? Surprised me? Good question. And, you know, it's good to have a few moments just while Sarah was giving her answers to that question to think about it. I think it's seeing how God can bring really great things out of awful things. Because Grapevine's been wonderful over the last seven years, but we've actually had some immense tragedies connected mm. with it as well. We've had people who've come along to Grapevine who've died uh, very prematurely. Um, we had one case of, of one person dying in, in, in appallingly horrible circumstances. Um, and at points like that, you do think, um, or you're tempted to think, you know, this, this work, you know, where's, where's it really going? Mm. Um, and I very strongly believe, uh, theologically, that every time we share uh, God's love or try to, that is never in vain, it's never uh, without result, even if we can't in human terms see what's being built. But actually it's been hugely encouraging to see the way in which tragic events have happened and God has actually uh, brought good things out the other side. So some of these uh, bereavements, some of these funerals have been the things that have really bound Grapevine closer together. Mm. Um, there was a couple, uh, Alan and Sheila, who came, and they loved Grapevine, didn't yeah, they? they did. And Alan got cancer and went through, you know, two years before he eventually died. And in the middle of that time, Sheila died very, very suddenly. Oh. Mm. And we've had other bereavements as well. And through being a community together and by caring for one another, um, it's, you know, taking those funerals, um, we'll talk about funerals later on, but taking those funerals was very key. Um, 
And it's been a group of people traveling together through good times and bad times, and we've become very, very close, haven't we? It's like uh, a family, isn't it? It is like a family, yeah. yeah. So, so I'd say that those are the sort of things that have surprised me. You know, there's been, mm. there's been things about it that I hoped it would be. Uh, there's been things that have come about that have surprised me. But, it, but it's, really, it's probably one of the most important things I've ever uh, been involved in, really. And well, that actually, that brings us um, very neatly onto our next topic, really, which is the Christchurch Mission Action Plan. Mm. Now, Mission Action Plan sounds a little bit like it should be something to do with the military. So, uh, so what, what is it? Um, explain what it is and, and tell us a bit yeah, about it. Yeah, well, uh, Bishop Christopher, the Bishop of Southwark, has uh, encouraged all churches within the diocese to have a mission action plan. And uh, London diocese have been doing this for a while, but now Southwark diocese are going to do it as well, and I think it's a fantastic uh, idea. Uh, here at Christchurch, we've had a lot of mission, local mission going on, as well as overseas mission for a number of years. Um, And we have had a strategy, and we have got a very sort of, you know, in some ways clear plan. But the great thing about sitting down and having to draw it up is that you do notice the gaps. You notice where we can do things a little bit better, where we can tighten things up. I, mean, I guess there's also the looking back element as well, yeah, and appreciating what we do, and seeing yeah. it on a, on a piece absolutely. of paper does help you have that perspective. Absolutely. I mean, the, 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 the sort of strap line of Christchurch is uh, God's community in the community for the community, which uh, encapsulates the fact that what we're seeking to do is be a church that is here to serve the people of New Morden, here to serve mm-hmm. the community. Um, you know, I think churches can often be perceived, perhaps unfairly, as holy huddles of, you know, a club, really, yeah. for the benefit of the members. Um, and really, um, the ethos of Christchurch is to seek to be the complete opposite of that, to be really a, a, a community of missionaries who are here to serve, uh, particularly the people in the locality. Um, and what I sort of realised as I sat down to draw up this, um, the draft of this mission action plan was that really we've got five major areas of Christchurch. We've talked about this in the past, but we've got the 9.30 service, we've got 11 o'clock, we've got 6.30, we've got Grapevine, and we've got youth. And all of the things we're doing missionally can be sort of mapped uh, around those, those hubs. Yeah, because I guess got. it would be a mistake to think of the services as, as being that stream is just about a service. You know, I think there's lots yeah. of things around those Absolutely. services. Absolutely. For instance, even more, which we talked about last week, mm. most naturally comes off the 9.30 uh, service. Mm. A group like Men at Home, which John Henson runs, for men who are around in the daytime, the people who run that group, the people who uh, come to it, are probably most likely if they move on to a service to come to the 11 o'clock mm. service, for instance. So most of these things can be mapped out. And what the Mission Action Plan is really trying to do is be based around this sort of missional uh, strategy which I mentioned earlier of seeking to meet people where they are but not leave them there. Mm-hmm. So uh, groups, whether it's Grapevine, whether it's uh, Even More, which is a group for young mums to come and sort of find community and a place to talk about faith, um, there are certain things we can map out where we're responding to people for the reasons they come, but every group we're trying to think, well, what's the next stage that we're trying to encourage people onto? Yeah. And what things are we going to sort of make available so that if people do respond, they have something that they can move on to. So Grapevine Extra is a classic example of uh, something which is the next stage. People come along to Grapevine. If they want to explore faith, and we don't want to sort of force anyone to, uh, then they can come to the prayer that takes place after Grapevine, or they can come to the home group, Grapevine Extra. Mm. 
Yeah, what I really like about it is this kind of, um, and, I, and I think it will come out as we spend more time honing the action plan as well, but, but that kind of um, opting in model where yeah. no one is forced, uh, uh, you know, he, he come along and have a nice meal and now you'll pay for it by listening to me talk for 10 <laughs> minutes, you know, and that's the, um, you know, free the and, it's yeah, the the free and inverted commas yeah. sort of thing. Um, and yeah, having these um, different groups that link to each other, that, that, that quite naturally flow from each other, um, but that people move at their pace and aren't forced anywhere and get to choose when they're ready to yep. explore. So would things. you say that the same strategy is in place with the youth work as well? Because youth work is one of these hubs of, of local mission that Steve um, yep. just mentioned. So how does that apply to youth work? Yeah, I mean, very much. It's... Um, I, I don't know whether it was um, growing up playing too much football manager and strategy games <laughs> and things like that, or uh, but, I, but I've always I've always liked to be clear and kind of thinking about strategy and thinking about yeah. how, why we do things and yeah. why we do things and so yeah with the youth work it's very much been that approach kind of um, I guess the starting point was as I just said not wanting to um, force anybody that where they were it's this meeting them where they are. Um, but but it also encouraging them and, and trying not to leave them there. Um, so yeah, we've got a lot of clubs, things like um, Urban Nights, things like Girls Night In, where um, we are just down there hoping to uh, form community with these young mm. people and showing them a place where they are appreciated and safe and uh, loved and, and all of those things. And then we have other groups like Going Deeper where we have a Bible study once a week or we've run thing, courses like um, IDE for the girls where we looked at identity and um, rooting their identity and who God says that they are and mm. um, Man Made for the Boys as a rite of passage, um, mm. kind of looking at what it means to become a man and, and uh, looking at Jesus as a role model. So, so each of these things, you know, again, is about mm. offering them opportunities yep. to explore yep. further but not forcing them to... Yep. To, um, well, there was a book written a few to. years ago now, uh, which I'm a fan of, and I think Nathan quite likes as well, by a guy called Graham Tomlin, called The Provocative Church. And mm. what Graham argued in that book, he was one of my tutors at college, was that the church has to, um, to really love people and care for people and then be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. And he uses that verse that comes in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, which I think we've mentioned on the, on the show before. But where that verse presupposes that people are asking a question and people yeah. will want to know about the hope that we have if they see that our lives are different and if they see a community that's living differently. So a lot of our mission action plan is seeking to sort of live out that principle, to seek to try to, to live differently, particularly to show love to as many people as possible and be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. Yeah. And uh, if, if we do it that way round, if people are already asking uh, the question or want to find out, then actually they're very receptive to finding out about Christianity. Whereas when it's sort of forced on people, it hardly ever works. Mm. Um, and I guess for me as well, it's been quite liberating. I don't know whether I have mentioned it before, but I, um, it's been liberating to, to remember and to acknowledge that salvation belongs to God. I think I used to... Um, take far too much of that responsibility on myself and, and feel like it was my job to, to um, save people or to, to yeah. uh, and it completely loses perspective on who God is and that mm. salvation is, is his and, yeah. Um, and yeah so in, in saying I want to love uh, 
young people or in, in, in the other context in church that we should be sharing yep. God's love. Um, I think it's important to remember that that's enough yep. as well, you know, yep. that, that there's something transforming about Certainly. a love that meets um, oppression. Yep. Well, there's that other uh, book that's come out recently, Andrew Root's uh, a Rethinking Relational Youth Ministry or something yeah. like that. And he argues that, you know, we've known for quite a while that relationships are the way to do mission, but still quite often we can think that's a means to an end. And what he argues is that when we uh, consider the nature of God as trinity, of relationship in his very being, that actually relationships are the goal. Yeah. You know, we're there to form relationships with people, and they're transforming. That's where the love of God transforms people. Mm. Um, that doesn't mean we don't give an answer for the hope that we have. It doesn't mean that we don't have words and we don't have preaching and all those other things. But actually, relationships are the goal, not the means to an end. Yeah. Which I, which I think is then makes sense of the youth work, makes sense of Grapevine, makes sense of everything that works, really. Mm. Mm. So, Sarah, as church warden, I'm guessing you've had to have a fairly active role in helping to come up with this mission action plan. <laughs> uh, or, or at least reading through the different drafts of it. She has. So, um, I definitely have. So, yeah, um, I what do you think of it? Is it, is it just more unnecessary paperwork or is it something that's actually helpful and valuable to have? I think it basically makes you not complacent. It makes you think about things. You mm. have to look at the question, you know, the, the, the heading and say, are we meeting this? Mm. And um, anything that makes you, because you can just run along with doing Great Fine Extra or The Hive or all these other groups. And because week in, week out, you just do them. And something that makes you stop and think, mm. where are we going with this? Is always Absolutely. a good thing. Is yeah. this still working? Why yes, this is still working. Yeah. I think that's the really question. question. Yes. And what you realise is that quite a few of our groups are very strong on meeting people where they are, but haven't necessarily, can't blame them because they've never been asked the question, they aren't necessarily thinking, well, where yeah. ideally will this be going? And if yeah. we've got some sort of idea about where we want people to be progressing or where we think is most logical, where's mm. the most not logical next step, we've got far more likelihood actually of encouraging that than if we aren't really sure. Right. So um, I think I'm, uh, I'm right in saying that the mission action plan is not actually finished yet. It's a work in progress. It's on my desk, half written. <laughs> um, but is this something, when you've finished it, is this something that people can have access to if they're yeah, interested and want yeah. to find out more? How do they get hold of well, it? Well, basically what I'll do is I'll continue drafting it. Then I'm going to take it to the PCC. Standing committee looked at it the other evening, didn't yeah, they? And we the church, did. shared it with the church wardens. Nathan has had a look at it. Katie Lofton, our lay reader. Um, so we'll take it to PCC and... Um, Hopefully, although I've drafted it, and a lot of it is mapping out stuff we're already doing, um, I hope it's a document that we'll all have ownership on. And um, one of the things I'd like to do is everyone in leadership at the church to have a responsibility for a certain aspect of mission. Yeah. Um, see, one of the areas that I really want to develop at Christchurch is our mission uh, to uh, internationals, to people who uh, come from other countries but mm. happen to be in New Morden. Um, there's a lot of students from overseas. And I think one of the things we could do is be building a lot more community for international right. students. That's an area of responsibility that I um, am very keen for someone to sort of take oversight of. Um, and, you know, there are various different aspects of it. So, yeah, it will be, it will be produced, it will be um, available uh, for people, and it will be, hopefully, a document that's constantly evolving. And, well, you and hope so, useful. because otherwise there's no point in just being a document sitting in pristine in the... In a drawer somewhere, yeah. it needs yeah. to be yeah. a working document. Yeah. Definitely. Mm. So one of the things um, on the mission action plan, uh, the thing that surprises me most is funerals, funeral mm. ministry. Yeah. Um, 
I guess we all know that clergy have to take funerals every now and then, but I don't think I am alone in having been surprised that it's considered a, a kind of ministry. Mm. Um, so, um, Sarah, I wonder if we could come to you first. Um, your dad's funeral wasn't very long ago, and obviously that was a really sad experience for you and for your whole family. But um, did it give you an insight into what the church can do for people around times of bereavement and loss? Absolutely. And I think the thing is, when people die, often you aren't expecting it, and suddenly you've got this funeral to plan, and you've, got, mm. you've never done it. Often yeah. you've never done mm. it before, or it's been a long time, or somebody else did it last time. So it's often a, quite a fresh experience. And to have somebody guiding you... In, in how to do that is really quite important because you have a short space of time to put on something that's actually potentially quite a big event mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because you know there's a lot to do and it's, it is important to mark it in a, in a way so mm. Mm. yeah I think um, you sort of do think oh my goodness I wish I had more time to think mm. about yeah. this but mm. I yeah. haven't I've just got to put it together in a short space of time yeah. and I think uh, having uh, someone like Stephen talking it through and asking the questions and going through asking about your uh, loved one or mm. whoever it is it's just a nice experience you know to, mm. to go over the happy times to talk about who they were and obviously for some people it's not necessarily been a brilliant relationship no. but yeah. also dealing yeah. with that as well so it, I mean of all the things I do the most obvious good use of my time I think the most sort of stand out obviously you know beneficial stuff that i'm involved in is funeral ministry because you get to meet i've done around about 200 funerals i think during my 11 years here wow and you get to to meet a family at a time of real need or Mm. it might just be some individuals and you really have a fantastic chance to minister to them to to meet them where they are but not leave them there so you seek to engage with the grief and the pain of what they're going through you uh try to draw out of them the things that were good about the life of the person that they've lost because that will be part of what's said at the funeral but also you have this chance to deliver a message of hope and what I find in every single funeral that I've ever done without exception people are desperate for something that will speak to them yeah. and to find uh, meaning in that, um, absolutely yeah. and it doesn't mean that they're pushing the question of where has my loved one gone and that's the most important mm. question that's you know generally in virtually every case they're prepared to leave that down to god but what they are full of are questions like well, what is this all about mm. um or even if that's not stated that's often what's going on and if you're really confident in the right sense in your theology and you really do believe that we've got a message of hope then funerals provide that opportunity more clearly than anything else. And I find people are hanging on every word and they are desperately grateful uh, to be helped. And, you know, some funerals are uh, relatively um, celebratory occasions when someone's had a wonderfully long and full life. Um, Some funerals are desperately harrowing. I've done four or five suicides, uh, sometimes in the most appalling circumstances. But almost the worse it is, the more potential you have to help. Mm. And, and I really mean this. Um, so when I have done funeral of a child, um, I've done several children actually, um, and when I've done funerals of people who've sadly committed suicide, that's when you have um, a really strong message that can make a difference. Um, 
when I was at college, one of the tutors said, and I think maybe she'd been very affected by bereavement herself, but I remember her saying, uh, if people are very, very deeply bereaved, it doesn't really matter what you say, you can't help them. Yeah. You can mess it up and you can really hurt them, mm. but you can't. And I found that to be totally untrue in my experience. Um, that actually people are desperate for something that will bring um, a message that the bad stuff doesn't have to win. And the stronger the evil, um, and the stronger the sort of the darkness, uh, the more that you have the opportunity to actually shine God's light, as much by what you do as what you say. And you know, when I <clears throat> uh, excuse me, when I visit a, a family, classically, what happens is we sit around in their front room. Sometimes they leave the telly on, which is quite interesting. <laughs> um, but what we do is we talk about the person uh, who has died, and, and I scribble down notes. And often they tell me far more than they realise, and you go away and you look for the themes that emerge as, as you try to. Mm. Sometimes they give tributes, but more often they want me to summarise what they've said. Um, and then I always pray with the family, or I say, would you mind if I prayed, to which they always say yes. And quite often after I've prayed, um, I sort of open my eyes and they're all in tears. And quite often I'm then there for another 40 minutes yeah. talking to them. And when I leave, they virtually always say, and I'm sure this goes for... Uh, many vicars, they always say, you know, I feel so much better after that. And even though they've been with the family and they've been probably talking about the funeral and, and the bereavement, there's something about opening up it's to someone cathartic, coming from really, outside. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I spend an hour doing the visit, I spend an hour doing the preparation, I spend an hour doing the funeral and perhaps an hour travelling there and back. Um, and, you know, minute for minute, as I say, there's no more valuable use of my time and um, we've had we've got one person at the 11 o'clock service Penny Deering who her father uh, funeral I did um, lived in the Casia Grove that was the second funeral I did first two funerals I ever did were both the Casia Grove for some reason um, and she came and joined the 11 o'clock service has been with us ever since and it's a fantastic opportunity uh, for, for, mm. for ministry and I think you have the opportunity to ask questions and say things that perhaps even friends might feel too frightened yeah. to say. You you have a, a way in, yeah. in that as an outsider Absolutely. that other people yeah. might be more cautious. Yeah, and wearing the plastic, wearing the dog collar helps because... Is it plastic? It is plastic. <laughs> I've got one on, have I? Yeah. You can, you can use a washing up, you can use a washing, you know, a, a fairy liquid bottle if you're <laughs> short and you haven't got a dog collar. I did that once when I did a school assembly and I wasn't wearing my dog collar. I've got it. Um, but yeah, um, I think when you're there as vicar, when you're in role uh, or any member of clergy, um, people expect you to, um, to talk about it spiritually and they really are. And, and you see how thirsty people are also for spirituality, yeah. for God. Um, you know, it is not true that everyone out there thinks they can live without God. I think that people out there um, quite often are struggling to see how God relates to the awful things happening in their life. And if someone can come along and bring God's love to them in those situations, then I find people are very up for God. Yeah, and, and I think it's interesting yeah. though in those moments, you know, and it can actually be death as, as, as yeah. one, um, but also birth as well. When people oh, yeah. have these sort of, I think you've, uh, you've called it God moments yeah, before, where totally. they kind of experience something other or something totally. profound and, and they're looking for meaning in it in, in this kind of miracle of birth and Absolutely. the tragedy of death. Yeah. And, um, and totally. I guess it's, it's it, quite an amazing thing that the church is often where people 
look yep. um, for some answers to the, yep. the questions. Got a, that we've got to meet them moments. directly in that. So, I mean, you know, we're discussing funerals rather than birth, but one of the things that's changed the landscape massively evangelistically is virtually all dads are present at the birth now. Mm. So they witness this miracle of new creation happening, and we've got this wonderful opportunity to then speak into that experience yeah. and say, well, yeah, we, we sort of think it's God. And people are very receptive to it. <laughs> what is it that people often are quite, um, what is it they say about the, the churches, you know, they handle, handle them from the cradle to the grave. But there's yeah. another phrase. Hatch, match, and dispatch. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, I think we should move on. Um, we're going to have a look now at a preaching programme for March. So I think you've all got a copy of it. So if we have a look, we've got three new sermon series starting. Mm. At 9.30, we're going to be looking at encouragement. Um, encouragement applied to various different aspects of our lives. And then at 11 o'clock, they're going to be looking at the Ten Commandments. There were not all ten of them, I noticed. Well, um, yeah, no, we haven't chucked some out. We're looking at the first five. Just, you know, yeah, I heard of a the five recently. that Stephen thinks are still important. Well, I did, I did hear of a church that was so liberal that it had one commandment and nine suggestions. But um, no, we're not going down that route. No, the other five will be done later on. And then, um, and then at 6.30, we've got a, a new sermon series, which I think actually we've done at 9.30 in the past, all about Philippians and the secret of joy. So, um, Nathan, if I come to you first, what are you looking forward to in March on the preaching programme, not in general? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> More specific. Um, yeah, no, I, I think um, I've, I've really enjoyed at 6.30, which is obviously the service um, I attend most because with 9.30 I'm often out with the young people. I, I've really enjoyed the series um, where we've been spending so much time kind of focused in um, on that beginning of Genesis and an Abraham story. So I'm... I'm quite excited to be looking through Philippians and, and taking, a, um, taking a whole book and, and working our way through that. I see Stephen's given me the Christian hope again yes, to speak people on. Have heard too much. Pe people have people heard too much from me on the Christian hope. Yeah, people right? are going to think it's all I speak about as well, but um, yeah, I'll maybe be a, a, a rehash of one of my old sermons. But, well, actually, uh, it's, it's one of the few times we've repeated a series uh, from another service, but we've got a totally different personnel, so I don't think anyone is doing the sermons that they originally did at 9.30. So and this is quite good because a lot of people use yeah. the sermons on the internet and they can mm. see what different preachers make of those passages. Mm. But also, I mean, we had a whole um, episode, I think, of, uh, of Look Who's Talking, where we, we talked an enormous amount about encouragement. I think that was with John Cook and, oh, yeah. and the difference that it can make. And I think it's, uh, yeah, it's exciting to see that there's a series coming up on that. Things like um, encouragement with struggles at work, encouragement in our family life, or with self-esteem. So, you know, um, I think they're all really important um, issues, and, and encouragement is just so important. You know, it's such an easy, small thing to, to do and to say to people, just little things make such a difference. So. Do you think it is an easy thing? I mean, maybe covering what we covered the other month, but do you think it is easy? Because otherwise, wouldn't it happen more? I mean, a lot of people tell me at work, they don't receive any encouragement yeah. at all. That's, so you know. it's easy to do. It's not necessarily done, but it's right. Yeah. Difficult yeah. I think it's an do. unfortunate cycle. I think people don't offer encouragement because they feel um, perhaps it almost it doesn't. They, they need more validation before they can. Yeah. You, you know, need to be filled up before they can. Yeah. Um, it can be a vicious cycle. Yeah. So what I've said not. to the preachers in that series that what I want them to do is think about the way God is encouraging us in our struggles at work, in our family life, with our self-esteem. Yeah. With the hope that having been encouraged by God on that or by God's word, we can then be better encouragers yeah. of other on those issues. That's part of the idea. I mean, I think the encouragement. Um, 
is vital for us as human beings, and the opposite almost is um, lack of confidence. And yeah, yeah. And you don't need much uh, lack of confidence to send you tumbling down. Absolutely. And I think yeah. encouragement is vital, but it's almost like food for us as human yeah. beings um, to make us thrive. Because yep. so easily the lack of confidence will come in yeah. and it do can be so paralyzing, you know. Yeah, I, I think it's a symptom of the fact that we live in such a culture of individualism that most of us think, I think, that we are essentially individuals and community second. Mm. And if we can reverse that, then things like encouragement become far more natural. Because we think, well, of course we've got to encourage one another because we're a community. Yeah. And we've got to get away from the idea that if we were really sorted, we wouldn't need things like encouragement. We could all basically do, do things very well by ourselves. And that's just not the way we're made. We're no. made to be a community. So. Mm. Well, I am very excited to see that um, Stephen's mum is coming <laughs> to speak on Mothering Sunday. Now, not just I, my mum, actually. Well, no, your dad as well. It's yeah. a family affair. And you're <laughs> speaking in the evening. Yep. So, um, but, got um, three Kurds. Yeah. Three Kurds, yep. And I think we've got a poster coming soon with your mum's face on. Oh, yeah, she demanded it, actually. She said, I'll come and preach if you put up a poster with my face. Of course she did. <laughs> I, I have been lucky enough to meet your mum so oh, yeah. times, and she is the loveliest lady you would ever meet. Quite a tough mum, though. Quite a tough mum to grow up with. Oh, she listens to Stephen. Stephen, in case everybody thinks she's being, uh, uh, Stephen's been particularly really knows his mum's listening to this. Yes. Yeah. And a message to you, Olive. We think you're lovely. We're looking forward. Well, she she has actually preached before at Christchurch about eight years ago when I was a curate here, eight or nine years ago. Uh, we had a Sunday where I preached at 9.30. My dad preached at the old 10.45 service. My mum preached at 6.30. And my mum began her sermon at the 6.30 service by saying, well, this is a bit like the three bears, isn't it? You know, father bear, mother bear, and baby bear. And she said, I'll leave you to decide who's too hot, who's too cold, and who's just right. So uh, I thought after seven or eight years, we ought to have them back. So, uh, so yeah, she's doing encouragement in our family life. And well, my we're dad, very honoured, I yeah. would say. Well, my dad's going to do the commandment, honour your father and your mother, which is a bit of a risk for me to invite my dad. Yeah. When he knows quite a lot about how he's a teenager. <laughs> yeah. And now even. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and uh, so, Stephen, which, which sermon series are you most excited about? Well, I love Philippians, and um, Philippians, someone, funnily enough, Lucy Bond, I hope she won't mind me saying this, uh, Facebooked me today, and she said, I've just bought a copy of the message, uh, where do you suggest I start? And I said, Philippians, I said, if you want something that is absolutely inspiring, uh, Paul's letter to Philippians, he's in jail, um, he is facing execution, it may have been written from Rome or possibly Ephesus, but certainly uh, Paul is um, really in a very desperate situation, and yet the letter is completely filled with joy. And the word joy or rejoice comes up time and time again. And really that's the theme of the whole letter, about uh, mm. how we find joy. And so in the first chapter, Paul talks about how uh, God has enabled him to see how good has been brought out of bad, a bit like we were talking about earlier in reference to Grapevine. Um, then he talks about developing an attitude like that of Jesus in Philippians 2. He talks about sitting lightly to uh, human status markers. That's a crucial part of finding joy, where we learn to sit lightly to the, to the things that the world tells us bring value, yeah. uh, and so on. So, yeah, I love Philippians, and I'm really looking forward to that. And Carrie Ebsworth asked for it. Carrie Ebsworth said, 
uh, I, you know, I see you've done that series at 9.30. Can we have it at 6.30? So we do do requests. Yeah, I was going to say, you can see that you, people yep. can have their influence. Oh, totally. <laughs> well, oh, there you go. If there are any complaints, if anybody doesn't mind the thing, speak to Carrie. Yep, <laughs> no, I, think it's, I think it's really nice to see the Ten Commandments come up as well. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it's not something I've heard in churches uh, very often, actually, now, now that I think about it, I haven't heard yep. many sermons. I remember in um, lots of children's groups growing up, we would talk about the yeah. Ten Commandments, but it's not something that's preached on lots. So, yeah, yeah no, it's good to see that at 11 o'clock, too. Mm. Well, moving on to our last subject for this month, um, we are going to interview you, Sarah, all about your role as church warden. <laughs> but before we come to you, uh, we're going to go to Stephen first to find out officially what your job is meant to be. And then we will come to you and find out how, how that works in real life. If you find out what my official role right. is, can you tell well, me? Basically, <laughs> basically, the church wardens are elected by uh, the congregation. And in the Church of England, it's a very careful balance of power, really, between the clergy and the, the laity. Um, and the lay people uh, elect, as I say, these church wardens who hold considerable responsibility. The Church Council, the PCC, uh, holds responsibility for the finance, the money, and the fabric of the church. And really, the church wardens are the executive officers uh, of the PCC. And their responsibilities are to make sure that the money is all looked after properly, that the buildings are looked after properly as well. Um, and they are sort of the bishop's officers. Although they're elected by the congregation, they hold a responsibility uh, to the bishop and to the archdeacon. They go and get sworn in once a year, don't you? We do. Um, and church warden is a really crucial role. And when I first became vicar of Christchurch, I was absolutely determined that the church wardens should be seen as spiritual leaders of the congregation. Mm. That things like finance and fabric shouldn't be seen in a secular way, but should yeah. be seen as part of our stewardship. They're often seen as a kind of just, oh, there's the practical stuff, Absolutely. we'll do that, and then totally. let's have a spiritual... Yeah. The clergy uh, are the holy stuff. lot, and the church wardens unlock and tell people where things yeah. are found, and <laughs> carry around bunches of keys, which they do, but... Um, it's just sad know, to separate those it, two, and yeah. see what is spiritual and, and what And I not. personally find, you know, my first uh, church wardens were Carolyn, who's now curate, and Trevor uh, Webster. Um, I always feel Trevor Webster, I always feel a little bit like the Queen when she says that she was chuffed a bit that her first Prime Minister was Winston Churchill. Um, <laughs> because having Trevor Webster as church warden, he was just amazing and uh, so dedicated in throwing himself into um, basically the running of Christchurch. Carolyn Lucas was great as church warden. Yeah, she as well. interviewed me actually, so she was church she warden. She did, yeah. When she I, when did. I arrived. Then we had David Lofman and Sarah, and they brought a completely different set of gifts to the role, and now we've got Sarah Still and Mark Heyman. And I meet with the church wardens every Tuesday morning at 7.30. We meet Doesn't for an Sarah hour. Doesn't Sarah cook you breakfast? Sarah, no, on occasion, well, she does if we've, for good behaviour. So there, <laughs> there are certain forms that we have to fill in and send back to the diocese. And if I produce the stats, then Sarah rewards me with a cooked breakfast. Once a year. Yeah, once a year. And when they, and, but basically, it is, a for me, an invaluable sounding board. So to meet up with the church wardens every single uh, week gives me a chance to talk with them about everything that's happening at Christchurch, from the things that are coming up to the difficult situations that we're dealing with pastorally or with some controversy, or just in terms of the things we're excited about and the projects which are, are starting up. And um, Sarah, 
you know, took some persuading. Yes, I've heard you put up a real fight. (laughs) (laughs) How many times were you asked? uh, Three times. Three Three times. It was. It's a toss-up whether it was more difficult trying to persuade Katie to marry me or Sarah (laughs) to become church warden because both of them had to be worn down by resistance. (laughs) Which has been most rewarding? (laughs) (laughs) Oh no! They're they're, they're both tricky women on occasion, but both of them, they're you know, their their strengths outweigh their weaknesses. I think that's very diplomatic for a change. Yeah. But I think even for that kind of regular weekly meeting where you, you go through things, I think actually a, a vicar can be quite a lonely job. And I think for accountability even, just for you to um, be meeting and talking through the kind of sometimes really difficult situations that you find yourself yeah. in and, and things that you're trying to pastorally deal with, um, it's just really important. I, and I don't think it's something that all vicars necessarily no. have. No. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Now, I'm very, very lucky, in, if that's a Christian word, in, in, the, in the church wardens which, uh, which we've had here at Christchurch. So, Sarah, if we hear from you now, um, what do you see as the most important thing about, about your role? And it doesn't have to be the official stuff that Steve just said, if, if well, you don't want it to be. Obviously, the official stuff are the finance and the fabric, and that's obviously really important, that that's a really important part of the job. But I do think that um, supporting Stephen and and also encouraging staff as well mm. in yeah. their work. Yeah, you're very, very good at that, actually. Um, I just noticed, you know, on the way in, you were talking to Angie, weren't you, our cleaner, and, you know, just, you know that, that sort of oiling the wheels of the machinery of Christchurch. Yeah. Yeah, Am I right in saying that the wardens are, like, you employ the staff? Is that right? Or is yeah, something... you're Stephen's boss. No, God, <laughs> God is his boss. That would be manager. <laughs> But yeah, no, I think just being a support to where you can be and, and, it, and also you are a representative of the congregation, mm, so being yeah. a sounding board for anybody to be able to come and... Have a moan about Stephen. But Sarah's very courageous as well, so one of the things, I mean, you always get honesty from Sarah. Sarah can't do anything other than speak her mind, which is actually really, That's really valuable. very important. It's crucial because... Uh, what I know is that Sarah will always give um, the answer to what she thinks about something. So yeah. if she thinks I'm making a mistake or I'm being uh, a bit one-sided in the way that I'm seeing something, she'll let me know. <laughs> <laughs> and if I'm ever not sure about a new outfit, I, I go to Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But I think it's not the. I think that's the brilliance of team ministry. It can be so um, easy. I think to. Um, forge whole ministries and churches around you know one person's personality or yeah. um, but to have teams where people are happy to say actually I think you're wrong or mm. I think you need to rethink that or have you thought about it from this perspective um, also the importance of having different um, personality types and genders and things like that yeah. representing on a yeah. team you know? well I'm determined that we always have a man and a woman as church woman yeah. from now on I think there's very little excuse really for churches uh, to have two of, of one gender um, and I think it, it then represents the congregation Absolutely. far more far more fully mm. um, yeah I mean Christchurch is my first experience of an Anglican mm. church I grew up in, in a Baptist church which is we've got elders I guess yeah. it would be the, would be the closest um, thing to that but I, I did grow up having only male leadership in yeah. church and uh, it really showed you know I think uh, mm. 
it, it's, it does make a huge difference to have um, both genders yep. represented. God made his bed, didn't he, for a purpose? Yeah, and I think, yep. it, uh, and in, in the both being together, I guess that's when God's image is yeah. represented. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sarah, on behalf of everybody here at Christchurch, I thank you for all that you do. I think we, we do see you. You always look busy on a Sunday, but we are aware that that's just the tip of the iceberg and that there is so much more that you do behind the scenes. So thank you for all yeah. you do to make, make the I'd church like to, run as well as it does. I'd like to underline that as well because, um, you know, I'm really grateful uh, to Sarah and to Mark and to David and to Trevor and to Carolyn, the people who've been church wardens during my time as, as, as vicar because it makes you a lot more confident. You know, we were talking about encouragement earlier, but it gives you the courage to, be, to do the things that you think need to be done. Uh, I've said before that it's, it's rare as a vicar that you are in real dilemmas where you think, is this the right thing to do or is this the right thing to do? It's far more often the case that you know the right thing to do and you're tempted not to do it. Yeah. And both in words of encouragement where people actually specifically encourage you, but more through solidarity and those people being alongside you, you then have as a vicar far more confidence to do the things that you know you ought to be doing. Um, and I think a lot of clergy are really lonely. Um, it's very interesting that in Rev, the sitcom, you never found out who the church wardens were. Yeah. And it's fascinating. You had a vicar who was really struggling and uh, you know, had a heart of gold, but was you know, in many ways you know, really struggling. And it was so fascinating that the script writers didn't write in who the church wardens were. Yeah, so Adoa might have been one of them, yeah. but you never found out. And the same with the vicar of Dibley. David Horton was the chair of the parish council, but you never found out who were the church wardens. And um, in both cases, they were a little bit lonely. Mm. And I think that if any vicar uh, listens to this and is struggling, I think to, to really work hard to get really good church wardens. Um, and often when you... When you tell people that you really want them to be at the heart of the leadership of the church, that's actually a very attractive thing. So, you know, people will often take on the role reluctantly, but often will then be quite inspired when they see the amount of influence they can have. Yeah. And it's a particularly good role for people who won't necessarily see leading or preaching as what they want to do in church, but it's another whole stream for people with a, often a very different set of talents, you know, who are being just as vital, perhaps even more so, to the running of church. Well, I think that's all we've got time for this month. But um, do remember that for more information about Christchurch, you can visit our website at ccnm.org. We are also on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christchurch New Malden, and we're on Twitter at CCNM News. We do love to hear from you. Um, we've really enjoyed getting lots of positive feedback. But if you have any ideas of things that we could discuss on future podcasts, please do get in touch. You can email through the website or tweet or Facebook us. But that's all for now. See you next month.